Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the November 19, 2023 session, focusing on Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. Harbinger of hope or declaration of demise? I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Crystal Shepard. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. You did. Okay. You got it all. <laughs> I think in the history of the podcast, this is episode 431, by the way, wow. that is the longest title we have ever had. I think it probably is. <laughs> and I think it has some of the best alliteration. And we have Indeed. to give credit to our own Daniel Glaze for that. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. (laughs) We're all laughing right now, so I'm glad about that because we have other emotions we can find ourselves feeling. Among them, the emotion of anger. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but there are certain things that are just, they're pretty guaranteed to make me angry. I'm wondering if that's the same for you and what's what one of those things might be that's a surefire way to get you angry. Do you have all day? <laughs> I have a list. I have a list. I'm only going to share just a small portion. Okay. No, for me, it's if someone were to hurt or harm someone that I love or if I see an instance of injustice or some marginalized group or an underdog being hurt. I like my, I get passionate. I get angry. I want to yell and scream and all the things. Yeah. So I get pretty angry with those things. And then the other time is I've worked on it, but generally if someone seems to not know how to drive, (laughs) that is a surefire way, especially now that I have a teenager driving. And in her car, she has a student driver sticker on the back Mm -hmm. and people are awful. Mm -hmm. They are student drivers. They are Mm -hmm. awful. And yeah, there was one time I was going to roll down my window and my daughter's, please don't mom, please don't. Cause Mm -hmm. I was in the passenger seat and she was driving and someone endangered my child. And so I was like, seen the TikTok. Have you seen the TikTok where the girl gets in trouble at school and she's, you called my mom, (laughs) my Gen X mom. Like, please call my dad. Don't let her come up here. You don't want her to come up here. And then she comes up and is like bringing all the wrath to the teacher, not the child. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I, likewise, I have a list too, but I'll share two. And one is I need to let it go. And the other one I think is more significant, but we will soon be entering the holiday season and we'll all get Christmas cards. And this is so minor and petty, but it drives me bananas. (laughs) Like when people will put the glazes or the Cassidy's and it's apostrophe S. Oh, (laughs) I want to jump out the window. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's a foul right there. Me crazy. The the other one is disrespect, and I don't mean slipping up and not saying yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I but utter contempt or not listening to a teacher, speaking ugly, just flat out ugly to a parent or something like that. I and it sounds like I'm such a severe kind of person, but I think part of 
the way we treat one another in this world kindly is by offering respect to one another and honoring them. And so when we disregard that, yeah, that I don't like that. So I'll go, I ha- I'll have one that's a little more significant and one that y'all can laugh at me about. I get mad when I hear people saying stupid theology. And it's like this rage built up in my bones. And there's like this fire in my belly. And I like literally have to hold my own hands because I need to have my hands loose to talk. So I have to hold my own hands so that I don't just go over and start yelling at telling them how stupid they are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, that will fire me up faster than just about anything. Okay. And then the other one is a holiday thing too, Daniel. So my daughter and I really love to go look at holiday lights and we're pretty judgy. So (laughs) we get real judgy about lights, but we're judgy about different things than you might think. We don't care if it's simple or if it's super elaborate. We don't care if you have the blow-ups or different colors. Though I'm here to say, don't go all red at Christmas. It just doesn't look Christmassy. (laughs) Make sure you make something else in with it. But the thing that makes you mad is when somebody has clearly bought like the bush lights, like the lights that you lay over a bush and they it's they just threw them up there and didn't take the time to shimmy them so that it doesn't look like a grid like I, y'all are nodding you know what i'm talking about i'm like we all can see you cheated stop situate them so we can't see that they're all evenly spread out i don't care if you use them <laughs> I do. I get real mad about it, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> no, it's easy enough to watch a few Hallmark movies and know how to do lights properly. I know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just take a little extra effort. <laughs> like I'm not going to judge you because you know you do Santa Claus or you do a nativity. I don't care. I just want to come see your lights. But if you're going to use those bush lights, please. <laughs> Don't make us suffer. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's going to be really hard this year not to go to Nikki's house and throw some lights casually over her shrubs. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> oh, I, I have a list as well. But uh, two I'll mention. One is I get angry if I can't be on time. I don't like to be late. I'm very clock conscious. And... I will literally get angry at myself if I'm going to be late or if somebody's causing me to be late. <laughs> I'm not so upset with other people who are late, I, but it's for me, it's a thing. I'm supposed to be on time. And other drivers, it could be a lot of factors that cause me to be late and that they could co- collect my ire. <laughs> the, the other is poor use of typography and design. <laughs> <laughs> Which, the uh, dear listeners, the podcast group here has been <clears throat> testing my anger today already because we have a shared Google Doc that we have up for each episode as we work on it. And they have been truly harsh with the font choices that they have used <laughs> in this document. <laughs> Strong uh, yeah, words. I'm a, li- I'm a little bit of a stickler for design. Well, I know. I'm like... 
We've been harsh. What? <laughs> oh, I, I I should work on that. But it's so important. You want to use you want to use good typographical habits for everything you produce and write and share. <laughs> and it's like an extension of your identity. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so um, what you would add? You told us to always use Comic Sans on everything, correct? No, that's that should be that's... stricken from the universe. Oh, I must have misunderstood. <laughs> that and pap papyrus or whatever that hateful font is. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh, hey, somebody changed my one. name to Comic Sans. All right, we're, I'm going to have to do some forensic research here. <laughs> Hopefully. We are we are able to control our anger at these very important issues of life. We have a, a passage today that probably isn't one that is studied very often. Mm -mm. And <laughs> in fact, mm, no, I'm pretty no. sure it's the first time we've talked about it. Yep. And faith elements. Pretty much. Yeah. And it may be the last time, quite frankly. <laughs> but we have brought aboard, of course, our difficult text expert who's getting his business cards printed in the proper typeface, <laughs> Daniel Glaze, to help guide us through this difficult text. Sure. So when I first sat down to write this introduction, I was tempted to take seriously the warnings Zephaniah offers in verse 7 of today's passage. Be silent. <laughs> but no, we preachers are paid by the word, so I'll <laughs> figure something out here. So as you heard, David likes to joke that a common prank he plays on me is to give me the difficult passages. He does so not because I'm any sort of biblical scholar who has a great talent for mining the deeper meaning of obscure scriptural texts. I think it has more to do with the fact that I am absolutely unafraid to say, I have no idea what is going on here, <laughs> or I don't understand what this text has to do with anything we're dealing today with today. Truth is, I do know a bit about what's going on this text, in this text, but the problem is it's such a dire warning. It's so scary in its implications that I don't think we take it seriously enough. See, if you don't believe me, read these verses aloud and tell me you don't sound like a raving lunatic or a street preacher. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The language here is so dark, so scary, that I think we have one of two or more visceral reactions. One... We simply pass on by, unable to read or consider closely what may be going on there. Or we read the passage too carefully, and we hear the Lord's day of wrath, darkness and gloom, blood poured out like dust. And such phrases can cause us to remember and perhaps even relive trauma from growing up in fundamentalist circles where such language was used to describe end times. Or scare us into turning our lives around in case Jesus were to return today. So I want to begin with an admission that such language may be problematic. We may need to proceed cautiously. 
I can't say what that means for your small group as you study this text. Frankly, I can't say exactly what that means for our conversation today, but I feel like I need to offer that warning. Even, even despite this warning of Zephaniah's language, I think the purpose of it is for us to squirm a little. I think that might be his point. Let's take a step back. Zephaniah was one of four 7th century prophets to the southern kingdom of Judah, the others being Jeremiah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. We don't know much about him other than in the first few verses he gives his genealogy back four generations. No, this is not an early form of Ancestry.com. Zephaniah was pointing to his heritage. He's saying he comes from good people, and we ought to listen to him. And Zephaniah comes forward with a strong sermon, preaching that God is ready to destroy the world. Of course, this is not the only Old Testament passage calling for destruction of humanity as the only recourse for human sin in the state of the world. But most of those other passages, however, contain hope. And that makes sense. Our God is a God of mercy, of hope, of love, of salvation. But those things aren't found here. What's more, most other prophecies refer to a day of threat against other nations. But here Zephaniah preaches against Judah itself. Scholar Will Gaffney states that at its most basic level, this, test, this text excuse me, is about the awesome power of God. God who created and blessed the world can and will destroy it, having judged it and found it lacking. I agree. Zephaniah offers a stern warning, repent or destruction is coming. And the terrifying imagery is meant to persuade Judah to do just that. And one of the word pictures Zephaniah uses here is quite vivid. God is searching with a lamp. No one can hide from divine judgment and retribution. So I get all that. I understand all that. As difficult as that imagery is to read and process, I get it. It's not a sermon I would preach, but I understand it. But here's what I don't get. Here's where I'm struggling. For one thing, I don't think Zephaniah is offering empty threats. It's not like God is powerless against us. But I do not believe God visits harm upon us either, whether we deserve it or not. We do a good enough job visiting harm upon ourselves. What's more, we fail to heed the warnings that God gives us, that there are consequences to our behavior. You can tell a child over and over again not to touch the hot stove, yet once they touch it themselves, they will remember that lesson forever. So on the one hand, I don't think God is going to smite us or wipe us out no matter how bad things get. Yet still we need to heed the warnings. So what do we make of that? I told you I wasn't afraid to admit that sometimes I just don't understand. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you so much for that um background and for modeling for us the ability to say, I don't know. (laughs) 
I think we try to appear to have it all together. And it's nice to have someone say, I don't know. And I appreciate, too, you talking about the language used here. Because I do think that when you come from a a more fundamentalist background and have experienced religious trauma, this language can be triggering. And so I appreciate that kind of warning, but also being willing to look at it and tackle it. And when I hear these words, when I read them, you said something that, that struck me. You said that there's not hope. And I went back and I'm like, okay, is there really not hope? Because usually there's got to be something. And it, it, I was struck by towards the end of the passage when this doom is coming and they're dealing with the consequences of their actions. And it says, gather together, gather, O shameless nation, before you are driven away. And it goes on. But I feel like there's something to that. That maybe there's like in the never ending story, like this teeny tiny little grain there of if we can pull it together, if we can come together, if we repent, you talked about repentance, right? Repent. Uh And perhaps you're not going to suffer from these consequences like you would have. So while I, I agree that there's not like words of hope. I wonder if we can infer some hope there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I I struggled with that because I I didn't want to just be bombastic there. But (laughs) but most of our other prophets, as I'm thinking back, will say, turn around and God will relent. Here we have, seek the Lord, do this, seek God's commands, Mm -hmm. and do all that. And maybe, just maybe. maybe, there's. I'll give you 10% or whatever. <laughs> you might be hidden on the day of the Lord's wrath. And so I don't exactly know what all of that means, but you're right. There may be a, some sliver of hope here, but I certainly don't know exactly what that looks like. It doesn't feel very hopeful. I think, I think in, in, and honestly, in the uncomfortableness of this passage, I want there to be hope. I don't like, who likes sitting in what what Zephaniah has given us? It's not a good place to sit. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, and, and I think with the other prophets, it doesn't feel good. But like you said, there's like a, but if you do this, or mm-hmm. here's the, this. It, but I also think there's something to what you said about consequences and that God doesn't, I don't know how you said it, but something like God doesn't visit like pain and hurt upon Mm -hmm. us. God's not inflicting pain upon us. Sometimes there's just these natural consequences of our actions Mm -hmm. and to expect that there would not be consequences for our actions because we are a believer, I think is short-sighted. Mm-hmm. This is so uncomfortable. I'm really it, uncomfortable it is, with this. Yeah. And and that's that, what you just said there was really where I ended the, the intro with, but also that was a, a real struggle. So on, yes, as you lift it up on the one hand, I don't believe God says you, 
you behaved poorly. Okay, here's cancer. Here mm-hmm. is the death of a loved one. I, that's not the God I know. At the same time, God's threats are not empty. It doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want and toss out God's warnings for us to straighten up. Or So I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't know. To, I, I don't think God is going to give me a car accident if I tell a lie, but I also need to heed God's warnings to be truthful. Mm-hmm. So I'm struggling. Yeah, I struggle too, because I think we definitely want to avoid this sense that that when terrible things do happen in our lives, that somehow that's God acting in judgment upon us. But we do have these things, what natural, what do we call it? Natural consequences <laughs> that if you, let's say, work at a job where you are doing hard physical labor, a natural consequence of that is probably that parts of your body are going to give out or have trouble more than someone who doesn't have that. It's not a punishment. It's a natural consequence. But I think about it. I think about it more often these days in terms of like some of the larger things we do together, such as the way we have we have abused us planet, and we are already knee deep in the consequences of this changing climate that we're in, where the storms are worse, the fires are worse. The I can't ever remember before having the kind of smoke hazards that we've had in the last mm-hmm. year, for example, mm-hmm. we are all feeling and seeing the reality of consequences for choices that generations of humans have made in the modern era about how we use fossil fuels and other ways that we have lived that have caused the planet to react. Does that mean we can't be part of fixing that? No, <laughs> it's not that there's no hope, but by golly, it gets harder to avoid the natural consequences the longer we put off changing our ways. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but it does feel like sometimes we might be having the prophets point out natural consequences Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we are bringing upon ourselves. David, yeah, I think that's what the prophets do, right? Like they interpret the time in which they live. I really do think they were saying to the Israelites, because you continue to live the way that you live, these are the things that are going to happen for you. And then I think the passage that Crystal pointed out about gathering together, I don't know that's meant for hope specifically, but I do think it's how we endure. Mm -hmm. These things are coming. This is what's going to happen hang on to each other. That's how you're going to endure. Mm -hmm. A lot of people ask the question or not. And I just, I don't have a lot of use for that kind of a question that it just doesn't, it doesn't get to the point and it doesn't change my experience here on earth. And so I really just want to know how do I endure the things I will face? But the question that comes up for me when I think about this passage is this threat isn't an empty threat. Uh, God has wiped everything off the face of the earth before, minus Noah and some animals, right? 
God has done this. God has, what does it say? Utterly sweep everything away from the face of the earth. I will sweep away the humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Like that's not an empty threat. And I wonder how the Israelites hear that, having that story growing up, the story of the flood. Were they still so far removed from it that it didn't affect them similarly to the way it doesn't break into our consciousness now? Or do you think they might have experienced that differently? That's so hard for me as a person who works with people who have been traumatized. Mm. It is so hard for me to hear that's not an empty threat because in that the Israelites there it's called there's generational trauma however far sure. removed they were from that if they were hearing that story they were getting vicarious trauma and they're like oh God's wiped us out once he says he won't do it again but hey here's Zephaniah saying the same thing like that to me sorry I'm getting a little animated because it it just feels so icky, for lack of a better word, to sit there and from a trauma perspective, it's it and I know that's a modern um a modern idea, but like coming at it from that perspective, it just is it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. It's it makes me very uncomfortable and very quite frankly angry. We talk about what makes you angry. It makes me angry to hear it because it's that's just re-traumatizing people. And I don't think mm-hmm. God is in the business of traumatizing people. I yeah. really don't. So it's really hard for me to sit there with that and to think about because, because we have this idea when I people talk about it of Old Testament God and New Testament God and how what is the character of God, it's hard to reconcile a God that would have that kind of flick of the wrist and everything is gone with a God who became a human being. It's so, it's hard. It's hard to sit there with those kind of things and listen to Zephaniah's words and go, how do I, how did the Israelites hear it? And how do I hear it today? Because when I hear it, I get angry and I get, it's scary. And I can only imagine people who come from certain religious backgrounds, how they're hearing it. People are listeners who have deconstructed their faith, how they're hearing it right now. And I think maybe we have a duty as pastors and as lay people that when we do encounter these passages to hold space for and offer space for that trauma and what these words do and what these words can mean to people. I don't know. I I know I went off on a tangent, but it touched something off in me (laughs) to, to hear that, that it's not an empty threat. It just, it sounds Quite frankly, it sounds abusive. It's not an empty threat. And I don't think that's the nature of God. So I don't know what to do with this here. Someone else take that and (laughs) run with it because it's just me thinking and processing out loud. 
there's probably a reason why we don't deal with this passage very often. <laughs> yeah. To be quite honest. Mm-hmm. For all the reasons we've discussed, and certainly Daniel outlined in his introduction, I'm, I'm not going to have a, a nice bow to put on this one at the end. <laughs> I, I would simply say to those of you who are going to be the, discussing this in your group, to take Crystal's advice about leaving space and about being aware that this passage could be a triggering sort of passage. I also think we have to recognize that given the state of our world right now, it's a heavy passage. We've had several really heavy passages of in, in the last few weeks. And this one certainly is among the hardest that we've had to grapple with. I, I think recognizing the the way that the scriptures help us see a journey of a people with a God. And that journey is messy and it's not neat. <laughs> it doesn't fit in some systematic approach that we can easily interpret every passage through. And so I would worry, frankly, more if we had a neat packaged answer for this. Um, and would caution anyone who thinks they have that. <laughs> Instead, I think we can look in the mirror and recognize the messiness of our own journeys with God and how it's not always explainable or understandable, relatable, <laughs> and certainly not simple. And that's okay. Because what we know from the text here and what comes afterwards is that this journey of God with us continues and that there is grace and that there is hope. And so struggle with it in the mystery of God that we all embrace and recognize that we only see through this glass darkly. And frankly, that may be a good thing. <laughs> Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.